0: Hello, this is But Why Though Senior Editor Jason Flat. I had the chance this week to meet up with comic creator Sierra Barnes, the force behind the long-running webcomic Hans Vogel is dead. I met up with her in her studio to talk about the comic, the first volume being published by Dark Horse this September. Thanks for giving it a listen.
1: Uh, I'm Sierra Barnes. I am a comic creator and general person passionate about history and folklore. Um, which are two things that my comic Hans Vogel is dead is about. It's about a German soldier who gets shot down in World War II, uh, and he's killed. And in the afterlife, he has to unlearn fascism and learn to be a better person through fairy tales that he's now living in.
0: Yeah, heck yeah! yeah. I I just read it yesterday slash the day before. I'm definitely excited to to talk about. No spoilers. It's not out for a little bit, but yeah. I I've got I've got some. So I had a good time with it. So
1: excellent. I'm before, well, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, yeah.
0: Even before that though, I correct me on any facts or anything that I say at any point, but just like before the book, like how did you get to comic book making from I you said it and I know you have a history a background in history and curious how that translated in your life into I'm gonna make comic books.
1: So I read like comics as a kid uh, a lot like my dad was an army brat so he had like the European comics lying around uh, and I was obsessed with Garfield and one day I went to the library and I read all of the Garfield books that the library had and the librarian who was kind of like I guess tired of me checking out the same Garfield book over and over and again was like you <laughs> maybe you should try this and gave me a Tintin collection and then I was like oh just hell yeah absolutely this is knocking my little socks off so <laughs> I was reading you know Chin, Chin I was reading uh Asterix and Obelix and uh then sort of like when I was hitting like middle school high school web comics kind of became like not like a big thing but like a bigger thing and I was discovering them and I was that absolutely just rocked my tiny little world I just thought that was the coolest thing ever I was reading like you know, Gunner Crid Court, I was reading, like, I I think Namesake was a little bit later, but like, you know, there's all these great indie comics out there for free and able to be accessed by my child hands, and uh, it was over, because that was like the coolest thing that you could ever do. And I remember thinking in high school, like, oh my god, I want to make a webcomic someday, that's my, my goal. If I just, I'm gonna have like a respectable job or whatever, but, like, if I could just have a webcomic on the side, that would be, like, the dream. Uh, and that's actually around when I started having the idea for Hans Vogel. Uh, and I didn't think it would ever actually happen. But um, then I went to school, and I did all the history things. I lived in Austria for a year. And uh, when I came back, I was like, yeah, actually, I think I have enough to to do this. I was kind of—I had moved back in with my parents in California. I was, like— having, you know, like, part-time jobs to fill the void, and I needed to fill the void that wasn't being filled by part-time jobs, and I uh, started making comics, And now here we are.
0: You mentioned the, the history background again and living in Austria. you just tell me, like, a little bit more about, like, specifically what that history background is and how that then became Hans Vogel is Dead?
1: Yeah, I, so I got a... Uh, i double majored in history and german studies at the college of william and mary uh which was great i had a just fantastic array of german professors who took me under their wing especially his name is bruce campbell i swear he's like uh not that bruce campbell but professor bruce campbell i like loved him to death still love him he's alive he's in france um having a great time prop if you're listening uh but he it turns out he was he's like the world expert on this very specific uh, paramilitary group in Germany in between the World Wars, uh, and I learned this because I was doing a paper on that paramilitary group for his class, and I was like critiquing a paper that turned out to be a paper that he wrote, and then I wrote an essay on it and presented it in class, and he was like, "Oh, I wrote that paper," and I was like, "Oh, sick. <laughs>
0: Great. Super, super casual. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> awesome. I was really hoping it was a different Professor Bruce Campbell, but I guess that's not probably not a super common name. But um yeah, I mean I love I've always loved history, I've always like been interested in it, and then just laser focused in university and spent many sleepless nights. I ended up like taking a bunch of Slavic studies courses too, because why not? Uh and just that whole like, focusing on the interwar period, focusing on, like, the world wars, all of that gnarly stuff, um, and kind of, like, not necessarily the, like, oh, military strategy part of it, but more of the on-the-ground, like, who are the people, what was living in that time period, like, what's the weird nitty-gritty history of it, um, stuff like drug use in the force, in the armed forces of Germany, and, uh, like, what was the home life like for somebody, in the Baltics, independence movements in Poland, that kind of thing. Uh, and it was, it was all fun and weird, and it was all sort of things that I was, like, storing for potential storytelling stuff, because history is just a story um, that is real, but we have to process it through narratives, because that's how our brains work, so...
0: Right, I was gonna ask, like, what, what about history, storytelling, mythology, like, does it for you? Why, why is that the thing you've latched on Yeah,
1: like, when I was in high school learning German, like, my German teacher told me that the, the German word for history and story is Geschichte the same word. Um, and that just kind of, like, blew my tiny mind. Like, I was like, oh my god, it's all a narrative. And that's, like, <laughs> that's kind of what I'm obsessed with, you know, that weird intersection between, like, mythology and living memory and like what we've decided as history right. and like all of that kind of thing. Like, What's the difference? Yeah, sometimes? And, and like where do those lines kind of blur and cross over? And you get things like the Angel of Mon, you know, the, the World War One myth that a uh, the soldier, the, the British soldiers saw an angel appear on the battlefield and, and save their lives. It turns out that's a that was a short story that was written by like a horror author, but it became so popular that people, like, swore that it had actually happened, and now it's, like, sort of evolved into this myth, and it's it's, it's interesting how those things kind of happen, um, and that's, like, that's my jam. That's where I like to just get in the elbows deep in the weird stuff, so, uh, yeah, so that was, <laughs> that was what I was studying, and then I, I got a Fulbright scholarship to, uh, to teach English in Austria for a year, and I was like, well... I'm not like great at teaching um <laughs> but I would love to be in Austria for a year, so that's uh that's what I did. I was in Austria. I lived in a teeny tiny little town called Baumgartenberg um and it translates to like tree garden mountain, which is an exact <laughs> like assessment of what was in that town um. It's great. There's a monastery there that I lived in because they didn't have anywhere else to put me up. And uh, I went around asking people about fairy tales and intrusive questions about what their grandparents did. Um, you know. <laughs> uh, and yeah, then I came back and wrote Hans Vogel. That's my... I don't know if that like answers the question. I just love this stuff. I think it's great. Oh, I think it's weird.
0: certainly. I think I... it's
1: entertaining. It kills my little heart. Whenever people are
0: like, oh,
1: history is boring, because I'm just like, no, man. You're no.
0: just not in the weird stuff. No, I, those are my favorite subjects in school, too, and, like, it is, you know, I, I do a lot of community education-based work, to put it the easiest way, and, like, a lot of the reason why I enjoy that kind of work, too, is what you're describing of, like, History is happening all, all at every moment. It's we're, happening
1: right now. <laughs> yeah, we're <laughs> it's making in the it, room with us we're right making now. Making history
0: yeah. as we speak. Yeah, and like it's it's that same idea, right? We're like in in creating and sharing our stories, in trying to both understand them and live them and like I like to really spend the time trying to pull like what are the what are the themes out of these stories especially. Yeah. And the themes out of our lives and how do we connect them. So yeah, I mean Tickles the same same thing for me. I, I get it. <laughs>
1: That's why I like watching World War Two movies, because it's like on the one hand it, you know, they're everywhere, but on the other hand you're like, what are they actually trying to say here? Like what is what is the commentary that we're trying to make about this right. like, extremely devastating world event. And there
0: wouldn't be dozens of them made every year still if there wasn't if it's constantly not new perspective yeah. modernity idea to extract from that whether it's World War II movies or, like, I, I've, I've read about this a lot with, like, tie-in literature to movies and then you read the book that's based on the movie. Like, there's something also to the familiarity with the story, like, yeah. any kind of mythologies and, and, and folktales where you understand it as a basic and you don't have to, like, think as hard to get into the zone, but then you can take it in any endless direction. yeah I mean, that's a lot of, in part, what you're doing in, in this comic a little bit, too, right? You're, like,
1: yeah taking
0: familiar elements of stories and being able to go from there
1: yeah and it's also like world war ii was this earth shattering event like both of the world wars were just like devastating on a a scale that humanity had never seen before and like the people who participated in the people who didn't both were sort of lost as to how to process this massive trauma right like we didn't know how to talk some guy who goes through the trenches and has a gas you know lives through a gas attack like how is he going to just rationalize that how do you even handle that you know like on a psychological level and I think on a greater societal level you know we were and kind of still are struggling with how to make sense of what is essentially a senseless event um and I think that like people pulling narratives out and going you know oh saving private Ryan or even like oh Dunkirk or whatever trying to find that like thread of narrative to try and make it make sense and make it like palatable or, or acceptable or something that we can rationalize um and that's why i'm really into post war german literature because they went no dude <laughs> this this <your> shit <laughs> i don't know what's happening you don't know what's happening i don't know what happened to me i don't know what happened to like you i just know that it was really bad mm. we're gonna write a bunch of like frankly, kind of bang in surrealist literature. Um, and that was hugely influential in reading Hans Vogel, because, like, there were a lot of things that were, yeah, you know, this is a metaphor for, like, uh, the, the Tin Drum, um, is a great example, Gunter Grass. It's about a boy who, like, suffers a catastrophic injury at age, I think he's like eight or something, and he refuses to grow up. He just decides that he's never going to grow past that age. Uh, and it's, like, It's weird, it's gross, it's very disturbing. He, like, lives through the Nazi period, but again, he's just- he's just never aging, and he, like, has all of these weird- it's very surreal and fairy- told like a fairy tale through the- the character who's an unreliable narrator. You know, as is expected. Um, but, like, there- there's just something very, like, Appealing to me about the absurdity of a lot of these post-war like works in the sense of like we don't we don't know what happened Nothing makes any sense anymore. You might as well lean into it. You might as well like you got to make your own meaning and uh, You're gonna do that through stories you mentioned how these
0: real stories And the surrealism, it kind of starts to blend into the same way that we kind of read into fairy tales and how that blends together. This book is, like, very awesomely surreal visually and narratively. It's kind of a how do you even make of what is happening a lot of the time. I super appreciate that every chapter has, like, the translations and the actual, like, moments of history explanations so that you can get grounded back into what is, like, the place and time in the real But also, the book blends a lot also with a lot of grim fairy tales, some that are familiar, some that are less familiar to the general populace. Why, like, go more a little into why blending that super specific, familiar, like, fairy tale archetypal type of story with all the other pieces that you're talking about, the the real history, the surrealism.
1: Yeah, that's a great dovetail, because the answer is that I... Still being super into post-war German literature, a lot of that is processing like World War II trauma through fairy tales because fairy tales, specifically Grimm fairy tales, are this like symbol of German national unity, right? Like the Brothers Grimm were trying to like create a German national identity when they collected these folk stories. I mean, they were also trying to do their linguistics PhD. But, like, their their sort of grand plan was was to create a, a united Germany and I, a, a united national mythos for a Germany that wasn't all of these little disparate mm-hmm. states.
0: When, when were they doing that work?
1: This is the Napoleonic War, so early 1800s. Sure. Yeah, so they're going around Germany. They're interviewing people. They're asking people for fairy tales. They're writing them all down phonetically to keep the dialect. Um, and they're saying that these aren't, you know— Bavarian fairy tales, these aren't Hessian fairy tales, these aren't, you know, Berliner fairy tales, these are German fairy tales, these are from Germany, which is a new and very spicy political context, right? Because all of those, those little state kings don't want there to be a Germany because then they're not king of Prussia anymore. Then, then there's a king of Germany and that guy's over you. So um, the, the Brothers Grimm were actually exiled from their home state of Hesse for a little bit because the king of Hesse was like, mm, I don't like that, don't, That's not into that. Can't blame. Yeah, you know, <laughs> pros and cons, you know, pros and cons. Uh yeah, they also wrote the German dictionary, fun fact. That was um arguably their bigger contribution, but I huh. like the fairy tales. But yeah, so the, it, it's this massive German the symbol of German nationalism, right? And uh you're just done with World War II, so you look at anything that's a symbol of German nationalism and you're like, "Well, that's a problem." Uh and so a lot of these guys were writing Surrealist fairy tales. Um, Alfred Poisler is another great example. He wrote Krabat, uh, which in English is called the Satanic Mill, which I think is really cool. It's a bit of a spoiler. Uh, it's about a, a boy who lives in what is now Poland, what was then Prussia, uh, and he gets recruited to work at this mill with 11 other boys, but it turns out that at the, on the new year, uh, the master of the mill kills one of them, in order to maintain his like demonic energy, he's he's basically the devil, as one does. Yeah, yeah and he's he's teaching the boys at the mill magic, but every year on New Year, one of them has an accident, and so Krabat sort of has to learn to like live under this regime. It's a metaphor for fascism. It's for kids, but again, that just lighting my brain on fire because like hell hell yeah, dude, absolutely. I'm so what what I set out to do was was in that tradition of how do we talk about fairy tales, how do we talk about war, both of these things are are sort of, well, I mean, like, war is bad, it's bad, but fairy tales have now been sort of tainted by this idea, if we're talking about national identity, fairy tales are a logical way to do that. So, just kind of put them all together and and, and let them go and see what happens.
0: Yeah, well, in like, the main character of this story is a Nazi.
1: He sure is, Which,
0: yeah. normally, a hard thing to, to get behind. How do, you, how do you write a story with a main character who is, like, your protagonist, who is a Nazi? I think a lot of what you're saying might allude to some of what your answers might be, but I'm curious, like, how do you be conscious of that, just, like, from a practical standpoint? And how do you, like... In writing the story how did you go make make him someone you want to like and want to succeed in whatever journey he's going
1: on? I like that's one of the things. Do that, you leave
0: like, it? Is that even the point? Yeah
1: like it's, it's kind of one of those things that I still can't really believe is happening because like when I started writing it uh, it was a, a webcomic that I was doing on my spare time that I thought no one was gonna read and I was like this is my little weird Project right. of You've been
0: working on it since at least 2015. 2015. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like so, that was a while ago. <laughs> that was a different time. That was a
1: different time, definitely politically. Um, yeah, I'd that's just, for sure. Just and gotten back from Austria. The the Austrian far right party won the elections in the state where I was living. Um, and that was pretty sweaty. It's not not great. Not a great time. Uh, and I, you know, had had always kind of had this idea, and I was like, oh, you know, it's kind of like Gospod, and the guys are Nazis, but, you know, they're, they're, they're the, the Germans on the on the ground, and maybe they're not so bad. And then, you know, after living in Oscar I came back, and I was like, no, actually, this this kind of sucks. Like, it, it sucks in the time period, but there were people who were working against it, and it, you sucked. Like, you sucked then, if you were, like, falling for the Nazi shit, but you especially suck now, if you're falling for the Nazi shit, in this, the year of our Lord, you know, 20-whatever. And uh, I, it was sort of my way of, like, Picking apart all of the little fascist myths that I like had read about in my studies, and was kind of seeing cropping up again, uh, and I wanted to be like, "Hey, here's why that doesn't make sense," and "Hey, here's why you know, here's how to not think like that," and in order to have that perspective, you know, the character had to be a Nazi, and and Hans was kind of like, he's he's not a like an Indiana Jones like. I'm going to steal all your relics. Dr. Jones, Like bad guy. I mean, he—he's a, a guy that you might know. He's a little like he's a little spineless. He's a little, a little loose. Yeah. He's—he's got—he's got social anxiety. He's—he's he's looking for the easy way out. He's a people pleaser.
0: He's um, also really good at what he does somehow.
1: But he's yeah he's 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 one of those guys who's good at like one thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know he's got. he fell into and like. And he happened doing a good to find job. it. Yeah. And, like, if the one thing he was good at was, like, invented, like, ten years ago. So, like, good job, buddy. Great work. Um, but, yeah, and I, I specifically made him a pilot because of the, the the myth of the, like, clean Luftwaffe is so prevalent. Like, I see it all the time. People are like, oh, you know, if you were, like, the, the Fairmont, you know, the, everyone knows the SS are bad guys. And the Wehrmacht, you know, they're, like, doing their thing, whatever. But the Luftwaffe, they were in planes, and they were... Cool, because they were like in planes and stuff, and that that's that's bullshit. It's complete bullshit. Like these guys were definitely knew about the Holocaust. Were complicit in the Holocaust. Lithuanian of forces were shooting Polish partisans in the Polish forests. Like not good dudes. So
0: yeah, just from really far away in the sky.
1: Yeah, actually on the ground <laughs> and when they Very much on the ground. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like these these dudes were all not good. You know. It was, it was, I was at a convention one time and a guy came up, you know, I gave him the Hans Vogel pitch and a guy came up to me and and I was talking to him and, you know, I was like, yeah, yeah, German's bad. And he was like, yeah, well, you know, the the Nazis, their ideology was bad, but you have to respect the German military. And that lives in my head read free because the only thing I could think to say was, no, I don't actually. (laughs) Like, I don't have to do that. No. no, And that's, this book is like, I, I hope that like, people like Hans in the sense of, like, he's the protagonist, so I hope that he's not, like, completely grating. Um, and he'll get better, you know? That's the whole point of the book, is that he unlearns his his fascism. But, um, yeah, I don't I don't want anyone to read this book and walk out and go, wow, yeah, they were all just little misunderstood babies, because no, dude.
0: Right. Oh. I-, I love that command he's given, though, like, no. die die better next die time. Die
1: better next time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the Valkyrie, um, no, no
0: glory for you.
1: Yeah, there's there's a Valkyrie who shows up, Bryn Hilder, and she's, like, the best. She gives a monologue that I had been, like, that monologue came, like, three years into updating the webcomic, and for those three years, I was just waiting for that delivery. Because I just, you know, Hans is having a bad day, and then he meets someone who, like, kind of understands the situation he's in, and he's looking for for sympathy, for answers, for anything, and she just goes, no, dude, you messed up. You did a bad thing, and you should feel bad about it. And you either got to do better, or die. I don't care. It's not my job. This isn't a redemption story. It's not about like you know somebody taking Hans under his wing and making him a better person. It's it's about a guy who's who's flawed, who has had a really tough upbringing, who was in a bad situation and made bad choices, having to having a chance to do it over and stumbling until he gets it right. Maybe.
0: Like, we, can, we can have facts and not they don't have to be excuses. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: That's, that's kind of what I think about all the time in these, these kind of conversations. You, you can understand something without excusing yeah. it. Completely separate subjects from everything we've been talking about sure. but I, I always like to look at the lettering in comics. Our, our website as a whole like we really try to Acknowledge that lettering is a really important piece of the comic process. It gets skipped over a lot, and, like, I particularly enjoy the way that the lettering in, in Hans Vogel, it, it, like, has a lot of parts where it'll just stop being in bubbles and just become the background. And I'm just curious, just in general, like, what what is your... How do you go about thinking through the way you want to letter something like this where it's very surreal? You're you. If you only had a speech bubbles with the same fonts, it would not have the same effect that it does in all different ways over and over throughout. Like, is there...
1: So that's really funny that you brought that up. First of all, thank you for your kind words. That's extremely kind. Um... My, my dark secret is that if you go on the website and you look at the early pages, uh, I was just using whatever font I thought looked good at the time, which was like a serif font, which I understand now is sort of a controversial choice. Because uh, when I was doing it, I was <laughs> just like, you. yeah, okay, this is just like a thing. I don't have time to like hand letter it or whatever. Uh, and then when I, when I went to uh, school for comics, the thing that I would hear from literally everyone was like, your font choice sucks. But these um, are hand hand lettered. Right? These ones, I, yes. I, I zoomed in, like, no, those so I, are not. Those yeah. are not
0: just like so the I same spent, scratches repeated.
1: Yeah, I spent uh, like th- three years of school being like, well, you know, the haters are gonna. I'm not gonna let the haters bring me down. I don't have time to reletter 300 pages, and then I got picked up by a publisher, and the publisher was like, "You need to reletter this," and I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, no, that's yeah, that's fair." So I uh, they they recommended that I that I look up a font, um, and I was like, what if, hear me out. (laughs) I just re-lettered it all by hand. And I did, actually, Bernhelders' speech was my sample um, lettering thing. And I realized as I was doing it that being able to essentially draw my lettering uh, was a game changer because I could do all of this stuff where, you know, some words are different sizes. There's emphasis. There's, I can straggle off in weird ways, and uh, I loved it, and then I cursed myself because that involved going back and re-lettering the 275 or whatever pages by hand, but I do, I love that I can do all of the weird creative things that on the page, I'm still very much like, I consider myself a newbie at lettering, uh, and as long as it's legible, I'm happy, (laughs) but I do enjoy doing weird things, like uh, there's a, a page in volume two without getting too spoilery that two characters are being introduced and they're sort of uh, fancy lads, Fancy <laughs> fancy individuals? Um, so they're they're being introduced and their names are there uh, and they're being announced. And uh, the font, I, I used the old Germanic font for their introduction with all of the swirls and flourishes and everything, which was a pain in the booty to do, but it looks so good. And that's kind of my experience with lettering, which is, while doing it, it's pain. And afterward, I'm like, oh, no, actually, this looks great. Never mind, it's all worth it. Well, I, I
0: yeah. think it very much shows. I like I, said, I I pay attention to the lettering always when I'm reading comics, and 70% of the time, the one line in a review will just be, very standard font. It, it does the job. Yeah, It's I'm not really, in the way. As long as it's not, which yeah. sometimes it is. Like, good lettering <laughs> but,
1: is, like, you know, it's not really noticeable by most people. And then bad lettering is, like, that's, that's the crime about lettering, right? Like, you notice bad lettering, but you don't notice good lettering. So that's, like...
0: Yeah. When, like, I'm reading it digitally, so I can, like, zoom in and, like, yeah. I, w- I was looking at it, like, this is very clearly not a, like... Not a computer generated repeat job with the way that the same letter will not look t- the same with the like you know scratches yeah. in it or whatever it may be I twice keep so like
1: to like make a handwriting font <laughs> but like I hate how they look like I don't know if it's just like me being obsessive or yeah, like, but in a lot of ways um, it looks but...
0: more natural yeah to read when it's not mechanically
1: yeah repeating
0: itself like not that it's a bad thing, but like it just it feels like it Fits more naturally that way.
1: Mel Gilman once told me that um, your handwriting is always going to look better with your art. And they were correct, uh, which is something that I was, like, very mad about at the time. But uh, they're right. They're 100% right on that.
0: So. <laughs> I'm incredibly curious if that's true about my atrocious handwriting, but I also can't draw, so yeah, I don't. I also thought no. that
1: my handwriting was atrocious, <laughs> and then I lettered an entire book by hand in like two weeks. So I oh was gosh. like, yeah, it was a crunch deadline. Uh, yeah, I don't but recommend doing that. Don't do, no, that.
0: Yeah, uh, I don't do that. But it's but
1: Watch a lot of trash TV. So that's not <laughs> <right>.
0: <laughs> but yeah, no, it. There's some spots too, especially earlier on when there's more characters on the same page where, like, there'll be words on top of each other as if they're, like, to show that they're talking over each other in a way that I don't know if I've really ever seen much like that before.
1: So there's, like, certain, like, dialogue choices that I absolutely love in, like, theater and in TV and, and, like, film uh, that, like, I'm on a constant quest to try and, like, replicate in work. Like, one of my favorite things is when uh, and this is like a very natural conversation thing when you're when you're talking, uh, and like there there's more than two characters talking, and a character uh, whose sort of side engaged in conversation says something that clearly only they can hear, um, and doesn't affect the main conversation. I freaking love that. <laughs> I don't know if there's like a word for that existing. But I like, I specifically like. There are a lot of moments where Reinica will do that in a conversation, or like where where they'll be like, yeah, side like, like the, the
0: start, the snarkiest side that's only for you and the person next to you. Yeah, yeah, like, I'm a master at that.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's it's yeah. inter- you're doing good work. It's an integral part <laughs> of dialogue. Uh, and just like having a way that to show that like this is this is dialogue that's happening, but it doesn't have the same weight as the conversation that's happening over yeah. here. Yeah. Well, like, like
0: the brain can only hear one thing at a time. Yeah. We, we think that we're multitaskers. No. That we can you know pay attention to two screens at once, we can hear multiple conversations, but like you can literally only process one thing. So I I, I like the at first I'm reading some of those bubbles and I'm like, what is the word you're writing on top of and why is it written on top of? But then I like realized oh it's like yeah they're talking over each other go back and reread that bubble yeah. and you can like in your head do that switch of like blah 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 and then someone else louder <laughs> yeah. like that, over them.
1: they in the the first sort of in between each main chapter there's a flashback chapter which is like Hans when he's alive and there's a the first chapter is him and his two friends digging graves in Spain and uh, his Hans doesn't know uh, and his his one friend is very casually referencing that they're they're digging and the other friend who can see Hans developing a panic attack sort of interrupts him. And I wanted to have that sense of, like, you know, you know when your friend is casually talking off a clip and you just want to, <laughs> like, yeah, that's like, there's a very specific dynamic that, like, is hard to express visually and is, it's worth the, it's always worth the experimentation, you know? It's always worth trying something new. And if I can't, it's all digital, so I can just erase it and try again.
0: So true. Yeah. No, no rubbery erases. Yeah. Marks needed. Yeah. Um, one right. more question, probably. You explicitly describe Hans Vogel's dead as an anti-fascist story text. What specifically do you mean by that? And like, how 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 is a book anti-fascist? Let alone this story. Like, what does that mean? In
1: my like your goal own words, actually? for the book is to have a way to show um, what fascist like, radicalization, when it doesn't look like jackboots and, and armbands and whatnot. And a lot of it can be, you know, stuff that like you hear your uncle that you don't like at Thanksgiving, say, or like your boss or like someone around you and, you know, kind of like puts you off, but you're not really sure why. Um, and like a lot of these, like, a lot of these fascist myths have like kind of insane staying power. Uh, And I kind of want to put them back into their original context of, like, hey, these are myths that are are created by fascists, you know, like, Jews run all the banks. That's not, like, there's, like, some, like, god-awful meme that is going around that's, like, alleged to Voltaire about, like, oh, the beware of the people you can't criticize or whatever. Yeah, it goes around that's every like, once in a while. Yeah, it goes around every once in a while and it just boils my blood every time I see it. It's, it's not a Voltaire like, no, quote. It's, 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 an, a Voltaire it's a neo-Nazi quote. Yeah, neo-Nazi quote. So a lot of it is just sort of like, PSA, here's some putting this Nazi shit back into its Nazi context for people to read and go, hey, wait, yeah, I, I saw that on Twitter. Hmm, that's not good. Okay. And yeah, the story of like, unlearning how to unlearning bad things in a way that isn't like a lot of self-flagellating i think is also very useful i like growing up i had a lot of uh, shitty beliefs that like were imparted on me by family and like i never was like nazi by any stretch of the imagination but i think we all have some things that we thought that were shitty Uh, and sort of unlearn that and unlearning and like admitting that you're wrong is embarrassing and this is sort of like (laughs) That but on steroids, you know, as like a super mild example, like I used to not like mint Like I just didn't think it was a good flavor And it like became part of my personality that I was like a big deal about like no I don't like mint. It's not it's not me. It's not good. I don't like it. Um, But then I like Found this like mint ice cream that I really liked, and people who had known me before were like, "Wow, now you like mint and make it a whole thing." And you know, like it's very easy to be like, "Oh, um, actually, uh, and double down." But yeah, no, it's very easy. Just but... like, yeah, I don't see a lot of stories about people changing their ways, uh, just like in general that aren't sort of like Christian redemption stories, TM. Yeah, and or, or, I even really like, or even just like, or even
0: just they. They changed because something dramatic happened, yeah. and they did a whole yeah arc of redemption. Yeah. versus like,
1: but the redemption is usually like one decision, which I understand from the storytelling perspective. Like the Darth Vader, okay, familiar yeah. sucks. <laughs> That's that. I mean, Darth Vader is really cool. Don't get me. I love Darth Vader, um, but like. His redemption arc is just like 5 seconds of him throwing his boss down a chute. Right. Like and then dying. Yeah, and then he dies. Like the <laughs> spoilers the for like, you spoilers know, for Return a of the 70 Jedi 70 year old movie. Uh but like yeah, like I feel like your options of bad guy are like you know, you never really did anything bad in the first place and your crimes get whitewashed, which is like uh, now you're not really working through anything, my guy, or you just die. Um, Which is also like, ah, you're still not working through anything, my guy. Uh, So I wanted something that was not, like, not a a situation where Hans does one good thing and and someone, you know, reaches down from heaven and is like, congratulations, you're a Nazi with a magical finger or something. (laughs) Um, It's just like, again, it's like, he's, he's a guy, he made bad choices that hurt a lot of people, and now he has to live with that, and this is him. After living with that, yeah. and,
0: and and maybe he'll die better next time.
1: And maybe he'll die better next time. And don't be a Nazi. Yeah, you know, just don't Nazi bad. It's it's not good.
0: It's pretty easy to not be a Nazi. Yeah,
1: don't do it. Just, <laughs> yeah,
0: heck yeah. Well, any any last thought thing you want to say that you haven't?
1: So I have a question for you. Sure. Yeah. Did you have a favorite character?
0: What a favorite character. I. I like our our not Fox friend. It's a name I never could pronounce, so I certainly can't yeah. try.
1: It's it's Rinica.
0: Reinika. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I like I like her a lot. Part of the part of it is the, 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 the yeah. snark. Uh, I'm full of it. Part of it is the, the, the mystery of who are you and what role do you have to play in this story? Um, cause we do get like a little bit of one of those interstitials and such, but like probably less clear what Reinica's role is in this all than anyone else. And uh, I, 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 when you first meet her, it's very much like, I am a scared child. which Makes it very clear, this is a scared child. Cause when you're drawing a fox shape, it's very hard to express that. So you, you can tell very quickly, like, no, not a fox, a, a child who's clearly, like, having a really hard time and struggling with a she's, lot of things yeah, and expressing it in a right lot now. of interesting ways. And I'm curious to keep seeing how that reflects back onto Hans and how it goes you know, reciprocal between them both as I'm sure they continue this journey together.
1: Excellent. Yeah, I was, like, I was going to ask quiet. Princess is obviously one of my favorite characters. Is, I like her better than Hans. That's easy for me to say. Um, of course. Like, they're all my children, but I have favorites, so I yeah. can say that. I'm very excited to where. I mean, like, I'm working on volume two right now, so that's like where my head is at. But I'm, I, yeah, I'm really excited to where they're going. Spoilers.
0: Is Good the <laughs> is the whole shebang done with? Like, did you finish the webcomic? No. Yeah.
1: So it's still, the webcomic is still ongoing, cool, and yeah. volume two pages start updating next Thursday. So, um, yeah, with new and improved pages. Word. So yeah. yeah, I have the I have the okay from my my Dark Horse overlords, um, and new pages are going up, and more more characters are incoming. Yeah, it's it's nice to be like working on on pages and story again after a, like a few years of. Sort of doing the admin side of comicing, right? So this is like coming back to the playground, and you know. Yeah. At
0: one, have you been working on other stuff currently? And two, are, did I read right that it's you? You've got a three-set.
1: Yeah, so deal it's a three-three it? three book deal. Yeah. So book two comes out in twenty-five, and book three comes out in twenty-seven. So. Oh wow! That's the. It's a
0: long-term commitment. It's a. That's a. Twelve-year journey.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, like. And
0: then some, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, the 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 first drawing I have of Hans is from like 2010. Right. So like. It's been been a minute. I don't know what I'm going to do when this, like, I have other story ideas. I've been doing sort of, like, other things concurrently, but, uh. If it
0: was me, the first thing I would do would be cry. (laughs) Yeah, I'm probably going to do a lot of that. Um,
1: realistically, I, yeah, I don't, I have, like, you know, like, I'm I'm fond of my little, my shitty son and his his terrible little meth head vibes and bad decisions. His terrible little friends and is less terrible friends. Veronica's perfect. She's never done anything wrong in her life. She's a baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, I, I was going to ask this earlier, but, like, for real last question, why, how do you stick with, or why have you stuck with this for so long? This the same story and characters.
1: I have um, one, the one trait that makes people uh, good at art and storytelling and especially webcomics, and that's uh, being too dumb to quit. (laughs) Um, And uh, enough people having told me that I should quit and that I put too much into it, um, so that spite kind of like helps keep me going. And uh, the, the third thing is that, you know, like they're your characters, they live in your head. What else am I supposed to think about? You know, I like to go on a run in the morning, and while I'm on a run, I put on my little, I have a Hans Vogel playlist, I have a playlist for all my projects, and I put it on, and I'm like, all right, what what am I gonna, what horrors am I going to unleash upon (laughs) upon my idiot today? And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do when this is over. I'm going to have to find someone else to think about. But um,
0: Say that again, because someone laughed
1: really loud. Yeah, they did. Yeah, uh, it's, I, don't, I don't know what, what I'm going to think about when this is over, but I'm sure I'll have another terrible child by then.
0: Well, certainly appreciated the combo. Enjoyed reading it. Looking forward to you having a physical copy in your hand soon.
1: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm very excited. I can't wait.
0: Yeah, that's it's a long journey. Worth worth it worth it in my eyes. I I, I that's enjoyed all I it. Need to hear. Yeah. <laughs> and look forward to what's to come first. Apparently a lot of years to <laughs> Yeah. Stay hype. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Stay hype. Uh, but thanks for having me on. This was a ton of fun. I really yeah, totally.
0: It. Thanks for having me over. What uh plug yourself where where can people uh find you where you want to be found? Yeah and uh, Uh, Tell us one more time when and where the the book will be available. Yeah,
1: September 19th, Hans Vogel is Dead, Volume 1. It's available for pre-order now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and your local comic book store, of course. Ask your local comic book store first, obviously. Um, I'm on Twitter at Sierra Bravo Art, all one word, as long as that site continues to function. And I'm on Instagram at Sierra underscore Bravo underscore art. And you can find all of me at SierraBravoart.com. I think that's all my pluggables. Great. Awesome. awesome. Thanks. Awesome.